I turned around, looked at my truck. It was half buried. And all the cars that were on the road and all the people, they were just gone. Gone. A survivor's terrifying tale of escaping a mudslide, knowing many others didn't make it. Major damage to key transportation corridors. The impact on critical supply chains, including vaccines. And mass evacuations. We're waiting in line now, trying to figure out what the next step is. Thousands forced from their homes by high water. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. You're looking at the Coquihalla Highway near Hope, cut in two by that atmospheric river that brought 48 hours of pounding rain to our province. It's the main highway linking the lower mainland to the interior, and there is significant damage in a number of areas that were hit by landslides. Meantime, the city of Abbotsford issued an evacuation order this morning for more than 1,000 homes on Sumas Prairie. Water from the flooded Nooksack River in Washington State breached Sumas Dyke and inundated the valley. And along Duffy Lake Road near Lillooet, a landslide took out a number of cars and we can confirm tonight, sadly, there's at least one fatality. Good evening and thanks for joining us. With the weather warnings easing, the province is beginning to assess the scope of the damage, while at the same time working to get stranded travellers to safety. It is a mammoth task and there is a lot of work to be done. We have team coverage for you tonight with crews in Pemberton covering the Duffy Lake slide, in Hope where hundreds of evacuees are still stranded, in Abbotsford where the water continues to rise, and meteorologist Christy Gordon standing by to show us what's coming next. But we want to begin in Pemberton with a riveting story of survival from a man we know very well caught up in that mudslide. Mike Timbrell is one of our own, a global cameraman who was on Duffy Lake Road when the unthinkable happened. Imad Agahi joins us now with Mike's incredible story. Imad. Yeah, Mike's story and his first-hand account will explain the severity of the situation. It is hard for us to listen to, and we are so glad that Mike is okay, while at the same time the RCMP have confirmed that at least one person has been found at the site of this mudslide crash site. That person was found dead. Uh, we are also getting our first-hand look at that site today. From the air, it is clear the force of nature is merciless. Imagine the side of an entire mountain rumbling towards people on Highway 99 Monday morning. Even if there was warning, it wasn't enough to make a difference. I heard this loud, terrifying roar. <clears throat> Sorry. This roar came and it hit my truck. Mike Timbrell. A global news camera operator was traveling home from his cabin when he says he stopped behind a lineup of vehicles. Many had stepped out to see what was causing the holdup. That's when everyone found themselves in harm's way. You know, I was just covering my head and thinking, you know, maybe I can survive if I get buried, you know, if I'm down low. It was not until he desperately scrambled out of the passenger door of his truck that he realized how close he had come to being crushed by falling logs. Looked to my truck, it was half buried. And all the cars that were on the road and all the people, 
they were just gone. By noon Monday, through the heavy rain and wind, Pemberton Search and Rescue deployed a team of 25 personnel to the site and found a debris field that the likes of which would have challenged even their most experienced members. It was certainly um, a, a, a you know, significant slide area had come down across the highway. Um, large boulders, trees, uh, you know, mud, water. Now one of the things that rescuers had been focusing on is following the path of this very destructive mudslide that has washed across the Dovey Lake Road, taking anything in its path with it down onto that riverbank. Official word of the slide having killed one person confirmed what many had feared. And concern now shifts to the situation potentially proving worse, with two more people missing. I would first like to extend my condolences to the family of the person who lost their life on Highway 99. For Timbrell, who says the entire slide happened in just a matter of seconds, the trauma of witnessing this horrifying force of nature will stay with him for a long time. I don't know how, but I'm safe. And, you know, it, it just leaves you speechless how fast something like that can happen. I feel so sorry for those other people. Incredible. And as you said, Ahmad, we are so grateful at Global that uh, Mike is safe. Uh, as he talked about, there were other cars involved in that slide. What do we know about whether everyone is accounted for? Well, the search is continuing. The RCMP have said that two people have been reported missing, and they also believe there may have been other vehicles with occupants inside that may have been lost in this slide. There is an urgent appeal tonight to anyone who may have had loved ones traveling on Highway 99 that day. And if they have not made contact, please contact the Pemberton and Lillooet RCMP. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that. Imanagahi reporting for us in Pemberton. The Community of Hope is a refuge tonight for hundreds of travelers stuck between the interior and the lower mainland. All the highways surrounding Hope are cut off by slides and washouts. Kamal Karamali is in Hope with more on the situation there and the extent of the damage in the region. The colossal Coquihalla Highway snapped like a twig ripped apart by a raging river. Further west, progress slowly being made to clear Highway 7, slowly freeing abandoned cars trapped by debris. Between the two blockades, hope. More than a thousand people trapped in the community with dwindling resources and a feeling of helplessness. I, I will admit it, it is like that because we've been trying to get that they've forgotten about us. These two families so desperate to get out, they're paying thousands for a private chopper. Problem is there's limited room. It's a bit scary leaving them behind, but um, yeah, I'm just glad to get the baby home. So let's uh, all say thanks. Normal everyday residents are stepping up to help and are becoming heroes. We're very, very thankful to Justin uh, put, for putting up his home and keeping 26 um, animals in his house. This East Vancouver under-18 hockey team was trapped on Highway 7. It seemed like it would be another night sleeping on the bus until a player's uncle stepped in to help. There were plenty of bodies in here last night. Opening his door to the entire team, turning the small home into a miniature hotel. I didn't even hesitate to say, bring them on down, they can have full run of the house. When we came up here, what did we say we wanted to do? 
Get closer. We want to get closer. I think we definitely did that. Yeah. Definitely yeah. did that. But these boys just grateful to have a home to sleep in and an experience they'll never forget. Yeah, I think we definitely bonded. Like, I think we're closer as a team, and I think it will translate on the ice. There is growing frustration now on when those trapped in hope will be able to drive out of the district. With food, water, and other necessities going quickly, things are getting desperate. And I want to thank the community for all that they are doing. The province says it is getting supplies to hope and clearing a route to reconnect the community with the lower mainland. All right, Kamal joins us now live, and a lot of people probably hanging on every word here, Kamal. What's the timeline for people to be able to get themselves out of there? Well, Canada Task Force One wasn't ready to commit to a timeline just yet, saying that it could be anywhere from many days to even weeks, Chris. And that's why people have gotten comfortable here. People have created a bit of a makeshift camp living in their cars. You have fires and campfires going here as people are getting together, finding warmth, finding food. What else Canada Task Force One says is that they need to assess the ground under the debris because that may erode, which would not be safe for cars. There's also the issue of a hanging valley that could come down. So there has to be some work done on Highway 7 itself to make sure it's safe for drivers to go through. And once again, Chris, no direct timeline on that. They said it could even be weeks. Back over to you. So much work still ahead. Kamal Karamali reporting live in Hope tonight. Thank you. Well, the rain has stopped, but the rescues and evacuations continued across the Fraser Valley today. Grace Key is live in Abbotsford with the latest on the situation there. Grace. Yeah, we're just at the Watkin Road exit near Highway 1. Now, with the closures overnight of the highway, some 5,000 vehicles were stranded overnight. Some of them did manage to find higher ground just in the spot behind me, just on the other side of the flooded street here. This as uh, rescues continued throughout the area. Oh, he's carrying a baby. Not just one. Rescuers carried two five-month-old twins to safety from their Huntington neighborhood home near the Sumas border on Monday after floodwaters came rushing in. The next day, the father returned to assess the damage and retrieve some belongings. One of the most helpless experiences in my life. For sure, I felt completely guilty for going to work that day, even though we had no idea. I mean, you can imagine if you have wife and kids and you can't do anything about it, you see him being carried out by first responders, right? It's pretty, pretty heartbreaking. More than a 1,000 homes in Abbotsford are under an evacuation order, mostly in the Sumas Prairie area, extending to the U.S. border and Chilliwack. Before and after pictures show how quickly the water rose and a four-hour time span on Monday. All day at the Watcom Road exit near Highway 1, rescuers have been boating people to safety. Sam Spada says by the time they got their evacuation order, waters were already rising so fast his family had to spend the night in their car at the Petro-Canada parking lot. It was a little bit tough with the, the two girls. They were really scared. Being away from home, having to sleep in the car, uh, not able to get anywhere. It's uh, not something we've been through before. Overnight, about 140 people were stranded near the gas station. Many caught off guard with Highway 1 shut down because of floodwaters. So I've kind of zigzagged through the farmlands before it all flooded out, and then the uh, you know cops shut it down. So we all just got stuck here on the peninsula here, all the highway exits, and just stayed here overnight. Most were rescued by private boaters, including a former search and rescue volunteer who pulled up in a hovercraft. The community pulling together, and unfortunately it takes events like this to uh, 
bring the uh, the people back together and uh, helping each other out. So it's nice to see. It's a big, it's a big happy smile on my face anyway. So. Definitely good to see that. All right, Grace, that water is actually coming from the Nooksack River in Washington mm -hmm. State. What is the situation there? Yeah, so at about noon today, the water from the Nooksack did go back into its channel, but the damage is already done. I mean, the Huntington neighborhood and west of Sumas, they did get some relief. That water, though, is still traveling north and east, so this is not over yet. Definitely not. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key in Abbotsford. And here's an example of the chaos and confusion during this disaster. One day after the entire town of 7,000 was ordered to evacuate, some residents of Merritt, who stayed behind, are still being rescued. And as Kylie Stanton shows us, at the same time, others who left are already returning. Rescued off a roof, flown over a city, now mostly underwater. Residents still flooded. It's the only way to safety. What's left inside there? But many of those who got out are desperate to get back in, assessing the damage. I know my neighbors don't have power. I know some of them have water right up to the top of the basement. And loading up on supplies. We're just grabbing some food and some clothes and like items that we'll need for everyday living. Monday's epic storm forced the city of Merritt's 7,000 residents to evacuate. The area deemed unsafe after flooding compromised the wastewater treatment plant contamination a very real threat obviously that is a serious concern and it, it will be causing health problems downstream as well uh, and that's why it is vitally important that nobody be using the water system in merit at this time a day later the water level is dropping almost as quickly as it came up good news that only reveals the bad all this means is that we're getting to a point where we can start thinking about assessing the damage it's all anybody here can think about first it was fires and now it's floods evacuees now in Kamloops are waiting on next steps with some off to Kelowna because it's the only place they found accommodations for us while not ideal truck drivers are faring much worse we're basically just stuck with highways closed hundreds are stranded in this gas station parking lot in Merritt supplies are dwindling while sanitation needs are non-existent I mean what are people supposed to do for washrooms around here you know you can't just have people going out in the middle of the parking lot going to their bathroom Still, the province maintains this event was unprecedented and it was as prepared as it could be. Obviously, after any event such as this, uh, the province assesses what's taken and lessons learned uh, and planning for the future. That brings little comfort for residents desperate to return home. At this point, there's no concrete timeline. All anyone can do is try and stay positive and patient. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, thankfully, the weather is supposed to stay dry, at least for the next day or so. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with those details. Christy? Sophie, of course, everyone is wondering when is this next bout of rain going to come? Thankfully, not tomorrow, as you mentioned. We're expecting dry weather all across southern B.C. We are expecting rain, though, on Thursday for coastal regions, first in the morning and then spreading further inland. But it's going to be very minimal. We're talking about less than five millimeters of rain, likely for much of southern B.C. That's the forecast as of now. Still a couple of days away, so keep tuning back in. But it's not only the limited precipitation that we're uh, um, thankful 
thankful for. It's also the fact that temperatures are going to remain cold. That means any precipitation that will fall over higher elevations will be as snow and likely as snow overnight as well. So Sophie, uh, that's the look at, uh, into Thursday. We are going to look beyond that when I come back. We'll show you when we're expecting the next serious storm and which areas we'll see it first. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Efforts to remove that big barge that ran aground on Vancouver's Sunset Beach have failed. A crowd gathered along the seawall to watch as a single tug struggled to pull the giant barge off the shore at high tide. It made attempts from a couple of angles, and when it didn't work, the tug left. The barge ended up there during Monday's windstorm. It even forced the temporary closure of the Burrard Bridge over fears it could float free on its own overnight and damage the structure. The Coast Guard says the barge's owner is responsible for the salvage operation. No word on when or if another attempt will be made. Flooding, landslides and highway washouts have crippled critical supply routes. How long it will impact the goods we need and the services we rely on. That's next on the NewsHour. A B.C. filmmaker sharing adventures that take you back in time, exploring the ghosts of B.C.'s past way off the beaten track, coming up on the news hour. But first, as if things weren't bad enough, the extreme weather system we just had is threatening to further disrupt the supply chain. All five of the major routes between Vancouver and the interior are closed. That includes Highway 99, the Duffy Lake Road, the Trans-Canada, the Coquihalla and the Hope Princeton, as well as Highway 7. And as we hear from Ted Trenecki, that has some people in the interior starting to fear the worst. The fragility of our supply chain network is best seen from the air. All those major transportation arteries clogged, and for many businesses, the threat of economic cardiac arrest is real. On top of all the other supply chain news we're, we're getting, uh, this might be the straw that breaks some backs um, this holiday. This is, this is an absolute disaster, and I come at it from a retail perspective, but this is hitting everything. So this becomes a national story, especially if the rail lines can't move the thousands of shipping containers to the rest of the country, or provincially trucks carrying just about anything you can imagine can't either, including food and water. I fully recognize how important it is right now in British Columbia to reopen the road connections from the lower mainland to the interior to get supply chains moving again. Some of the debris fields can be cleared relatively quickly, but not all of them. In others, such as the, uh, the washout on the Coquihalla, it may well be, uh, you know, several weeks or months. Already there's evidence of hoarding in this store in Kamloops, as human nature takes over and exacerbates an increasingly bad situation. If the trucks and trains can't move containers from the ports, then the ports become jammed, as is happening in Los Angeles, and that's without a major weather event. COVID and climate change are exposing some serious flaws in our supply chain system. The defining, I get ethos in retail has been efficiency. How do we get stuff cheaper, faster, relentlessly? And I think what uh, not only this weather event and, and series of events has, has uh, told us, but also the pandemic, is we need to think about how we identify, manage and mitigate risk. And part of that is going to be having backup plans. Getting back to how these events are hitting absolutely everyone, a couple just moved from Penticton to North Vancouver to be closer to family. They're here, but all the possessions are sitting in a moving truck in the Okanagan. Somebody said, well, you can always sleep on the floor. It's uh, in your place. It's carpeted. I said, yeah, but my age got to figure out someplace, some way to get back up. A sense of humor can go a long way in these trying times. 
Ted Chernacki Global News. Very true. <laughs> Up next, was it an emergency preparedness failure? Obviously, after any event such as this, uh, the province assesses what's taken and lessons learned. How Washington State prepared compared to B.C. and why some think our system is broken. And what about flood insurance with thousands suffering damage? What you need to know before you buy. Still waiting for a tow truck to arrive on scene to this stalled vehicle in Coquitlam, eastbound on Lowheed Highway, just before Pitt River Road in the right lane. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Lowheed Highway and Pitt River Road. Historic flooding is the latest extreme weather event to hit B.C. this year, with damage likely costing affected homeowners millions. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on flood insurance and why it's important to plan ahead. And Thanks, Sophie. The numbers are still being tallied for this atmospheric river, but the rainstorm that hit B.C. in January of 2020 cost over $42 million in insured damage. That's according to the Insurance Bureau of Canada. Water damage coverage is optional, and the message is don't wait until it's too late. Thousands of British Columbians are currently impacted by flooding, many fleeing homes underwater. Standard home and business insurance policies do not cover flooding losses or damage. However, residential overland flood coverage is available and it is optional. It refers to damage caused when rivers and lakes overflow onto dry land or by heavy rainfall overwhelming stormwater systems. The coverage is based on risk and because it's relatively new, the Insurance Bureau believes only about half of BC residents have purchased it. While most people qualify for overland flood insurance, some will not be eligible. Residential overland flood coverage is available to about 95% of the residents throughout BC. For some of those properties that are at very high flood risk, so who are living in known flood hazard or floodplain areas, you may not qualify for that coverage. Once your home has been flooded, you can't buy insurance retroactively. So this is really where you need to take proactive measures. Now, water damage in basements due to a sewer backup is covered if you have sewer backup coverage. The Insurance Bureau says wind or hail damage to homes is usually covered and would include damage caused by water entering through sudden openings caused by wind or hail. If comprehensive or all perils coverage has been purchased, damage to vehicles from wind, hail or water is usually covered. And the Insurance Bureau of Canada says the majority of overland flood coverage policies cost a few hundred dollars to add on to your existing home insurance plans. It's best to talk with your insurance representative to discuss what options are available with the frequency of extreme weather events. It's something to consider when renewing your coverage. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Some new questions are being raised today about B.C.'s preparations for the disaster we're all living through. While the South Coast was being swamped by historic rains, B.C. relied on social media to alert the public. Richard Zussman looks at whether that was enough. People stranded, cars swept off roads, highways cut off. Questions over whether the B.C. government could and should have provided more warning. I think when we're looking at huge events like this, we need to hear 
from the provincial government. Were we hit by this storm worse than expected, or is our emergency preparation system flawed? But some of the heaviest rain will begin for tomorrow night. On Friday, weather forecasts pointed towards record-breaking rain. Dry BC updated road conditions Sunday. Flood warnings were done locally. But the province did not hold an emergency press conference or send out text alerts to impacted areas. What we saw was an absolutely uh, unprecedented um, you know, uh, deluge, torrential deluge, like we have never seen before. The B.C. Liberals say it's time for the province to reevaluate early warnings. For example, during the summer fires, text messages were sent as evacuation notices. In Washington state, residents shoring up dikes Saturday. In British Columbia, no coordinated approach to support dikes or to sandbag. We have a communication uh, link or process that can give people a heads up so they can make good decisions. First Nations communities now calling on the province to declare a provincial state of emergency. Vancouver is completely cut off from the rest of the province of British Columbia. And uh, now we're seeing uh, other uh, places and municipalities being cut off in terms of resources. The state of emergency would allow for greater access to resources at both the national and local level. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking with Premier John Horgan earlier today. As a government, we've been liaising closely with the government of British Columbia, uh, providing supports in any way we can. We need to have a broader discussion about disaster management strategies and what role the federal government could play. The province also vowing to review the way this emergency has been handled, but not until we're past the emergency. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, receding water gives Princeton a chance to clean up. We've got huge support from the community. Why the mayor has at least one reason to feel relief next. And in health matters, how the flood disaster could lead to COVID outbreaks if we're not careful. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. A major police incident here in Surrey has 156th Street completely blocked just south of 96th Avenue with a detour in effect. Creating your dream kitchen? Elevate your cooking and entertaining with Thermidor's one-two free offers. Purchase a qualifying kitchen and get an emerald dishwasher and more. Visit thermidor.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a police incident in Surrey. Tonight, nearly 300 families remain out of their homes in Princeton, and another 300 properties are on alert. But the river has receded, allowing some residents to get an idea of just how much damage has been done and what has been lost. Global's Jules Knox reports. We couldn't access other than in a rowboat yesterday. A muddy mess. The town of Princeton picking up the pieces after floodwaters swept through the area. The door blew and a torrent came in, a terrifying torrent. I just caught a glance of it and beaded it up the stairs. Families forced to flee the danger, now returning home during the day to assess the damage. The magnitude of the situation really just sunk in and I was just shocked at it. Um, I have all my daughter's art up on the wall and everything and it was, it was tear jerking. It's kind of hard to talk about. Residents sifting through the debris finding missing treasures strewn about the street. We found someone's train set and I got a photo of, I, I, 
I'll have to put it on Facebook of some couple. Blackberry, the chicken, found safe, although others weren't so lucky. I mean, some people lost everything. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, it's there's 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 people out there devastated right now. Our, our hearts are with them. The mayor says Princeton has no current hotel space, and the emergency services center itself evacuated Tuesday morning for lack of heat. The remaining residents sent to Kelowna, but there is some relief. Our sewer lift station. We thought we may have lost it and it has been running this whole time and it's continuing to run and it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> As many start pumping water from their basements, the town is trying to clear the mud from what used to be paved streets. And as much of the town survives another day without heat and with dropping temperatures, many residents say they're worried for what winter will bring. Jules Knox, Global News, Princeton. The Okanagan is also in cleanup mode today after that powerful storm pounded the region. Residents of the River Valley RV Park along the Similkameen River in Karameas have dealt with flooding before, but many residents say it's never been this bad. They are now fixing the damage left behind. Further down the river, an historic bridge was damaged by debris, and the regional district is asking residents not to travel because roads, bridges, and other infrastructure are compromised. Seen bridge leading into Tulamine is the real concern right now. That's why uh, access has been cut off. And there are a number of roads in the surrounding area which are also posing hazards. And that's why people shouldn't be traveling on some of these backcountry forest service roads. We're grateful um, that we uh, have somewhere to stay. Thankfully, my, uh, my in-laws live here, so we live up on the hill. So we're kind of lucky that we're able to avoid uh, a lot of this. But, um, I mean, it's still, it's kind of scary. I mean, like, you know, being separated from your home, like we have... Uh, like pets, we only plan on being here for a couple of days. Officials say the immediate danger may have passed, but there's still a lot of debris in the water and more rain is coming up in the forecast. Well, a fairly encouraging 24 hours when it comes to our COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 338 new cases and 3,568 active cases. 376 people are in hospital with 107 of them in the ICU. That number is down by nine. Sadly, there has been one more death from complications of the virus. And now 86.8% of eligible British Columbians are fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us with more on COVID-19 in BC and how the emergency situation caused by that storm could impact the province's pandemic fight. Keith? Yes, indeed, Sophie. So the communities most affected by flooding have some of the lowest vaccination rates in B.C. That does have potential implications for the spread of COVID-19. Take a look at uh, some of the towns I'm talking about. Merritt, for example, which has had to evacuate 7,000 people, vaccination rate of just 81.3%, which means 2,077 of the 7,000 evacuees who had to go to another town are unvaccinated. Princeton also with low vaccination levels. Chilliwack basically hemmed in now with road closures at a low vaccination rate, Agassiz, Harrison, and Hope, 78%, 1,100 people who don't live in Hope find themselves trapped there in a town with low vaccination numbers. Dr. Bonnie Henry today pointed out that it is a concern when you got the potential for people moving around with COVID-19 or with unvaccinated numbers, such as merit, or people having to congregate in towns with small vaccination rates, even though they're not residents there. Here's Dr. Henry. 
obviously that is a worry um, and it, it reinforces the importance of not only being vaccinated um, but all of the other measures that we know are important when we're in those enclosed settings and whether it's on a bus um, being moved um, between places, whether it's uh, in a, a reception centre, making sure that we are um, keeping our distance from people, wearing masks appropriately and supporting each other um, through this very, very challenging time. So I'll end tonight on a more optimistic note, Sophie. Today's number of 338 cases is the lowest one-day case number that I can tell since early August. So we're tracking the right way. Our numbers are going down on a daily basis or weekly basis, and that's good news. Nice to have a little bit of good news uh, over these past couple of days. Thanks, Keith. All right. Dr. Henry uh, also expects Health Canada to approve vaccines for younger children very soon. B.C. has been reassured that there will be enough for the just over 300,000 eligible children in B.C. So Dr. Henry is advising parents now is a good time to think about what's right for your family in the coming weeks. So by registering now, your children will likely, we expect, be able to receive this vaccine before the upcoming holidays. And I encourage parents to think about this now. Get that information that will help you make those decisions about what's right for your child. Coming up, exploring BC's forgotten places. Woo! Somebody was making money up in here. The filmmaker finding YouTube gold in abandoned mines and other remote locations. And in sports, nothing is going the way the Canucks and their fans hoped it would this season, and the rumors are starting to swirl. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, that's energy at work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Nice to see some sunshine and blue sky today. A lot of people very thankful for that, but uh, obviously an eye to the future in the next couple of days here. Christy, what's coming in the weather? Yeah, that's a big concern. Uh, Chris, yeah, I mean, as we talked about, some precipitation on Thursday and another more major system, but it's days away yet. I just wanted to show you quickly the tally of the numbers. These are the official ones from Environment Canada, and they're exceptional. Uh, they're a bit different from what I showed you yesterday. Quite uh, exceptional for hope with close to 300 millimeters of rain. And this is from Saturday, 11 a.m. to Monday at 11 p.m. Kokala, 240 or close to. Agassiz, 230. Chilliwack, 220. Malhad, 180. And then even across the lower mainland, exceptional numbers where a lot of these areas are seen in just sort of a two-day period, what you would typically see throughout all of November. And bear in mind, November being one of our rainiest months, our more active months. So quite exceptional indeed. Today, as you mentioned, much better. Still a lot of uh, conditions with the Sumas Prairie uh, continuing to flood and a lot of cleanup is needed. But it was nice to see that blue sky. Tomorrow, it will be great and much colder, but at least dry. That's the most significant thing. As we mentioned, Thursday, we are expecting precipitation. It's going to remain cold. So that means snow over higher elevations. That's good news as well. No additional melt of that snowpack. We are going to see snow over uh, the overnight period for the interior, even over lower elevation regions, and it's going to push out by Friday. Friday, Saturday, looking dry. That next system, late Sunday into Monday. Still days away. Keep tuning back in. But again, late 
late Sunday into Monday. That's when we're going to see a more major system. Again, tomorrow, dry but cold. That is some good news with little snow melt and no precipitation for the south coast. Six degrees is our daytime high for Metro Vancouver. A few showers expected, though, on Thursday, but less than five millimeters expected at this point. Tonight's central windows weather window, I will leave you with this image, which is quite devastating, from the Sumas Prairie, of course, looking out over it with what they saw throughout the early part of the day today. Just the scale of it is astonishing. When, when you get up and see some of those aerial shots, Christy, it's... It's amazing. Thank you very much. All right. Squire is here now. Uh, Canucks fans feeling a little angst. Oh, quite a bit. Hand wringing lately. I I even think the owner (laughs) is feeling a bit of angst and wringing hands as well and wondering, hey, we've got uh, one of the highest paid players, the highest paid teams in the league. What's going on? Okay. So Bo Horvat said they know the Canucks entire fan base is on edge with all the losing. So are the players. I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's just frustrating. Um, I'm tired of losing. I'm, everybody in that room is tired of losing. And today they did some battle drills at practice, trying to get ready for Colorado and stop the slide. Also tonight, the adventure filmmaker going way behind the scenes to find BC's hidden secrets. If I said we're going to start with a sport played on ice, you'd probably think hockey, but no, not tonight. You're it's right. Soccer. It's pretty close to being played on ice. Uh, Canada has Mexico and basically a big outdoor freezer for a World Cup qualifying game. They are up in Edmonton. Canada's still the only team in this tournament that has not lost. Uh, they got draws down in Mexico and the U.S. earlier in the tournament, which are huge results. A win here, Canada would actually go to first place and it would secure go a long way, I should say, to securing a spot in next year's World Cup. We're in good shape, though. Halfway through the tournament, we're third place. And the uh, top three get tickets to next year's event. So, minus 10 at Commonwealth. Canada going with their third uniforms. And if you think it's hard to play in minus 10 with your shorts on, how about falling on the turf? Ouch! That's him saying to Lozano. 0-0 late in the first half. Mexico and Canada. Uh, Yes, there was a meeting between Francesco Aquilini and his management team today, but it's not that Francesco doesn't talk regularly to Jim Benning and perhaps Travis Green as well. He wants to know why they are underperforming and what they plan to do about it. There was no talk of firings, at least not now. The uh, Canucks are coming off a road trip where they were made to look like a lottery team rather than one that pushed all its chips to the center of the table in the summer to make the playoffs this season. And with Colorado coming in tomorrow, the Canucks know a win would certainly turn the temperature down in Canucks Nation. There's a centering pass, they score again! I'm not going to lie, it's just frustrating. Um, I'm tired of losing. Everybody in that room is tired of losing. And, um, you know, again... It's it is exhausting coming in here and, and saying the same things over and over again. But you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's us that has to make a difference. It's us that has to go out there and, and put in the work and and uh, you know play the right way. And you know, we all need to do that uh, as a group because again, if we don't, then we're not going to win. You'd think smiles would be tough to come by for a Canucks coaching staff and hockey team that's only won twice in its last ten games. Travis Green going heavy on intensity-based battle drills at Canucks practice as his team continues to underperform and underdeliver, uh, I thought we needed a little bit of a competitive checking day. And uh, we have a young group, 
especially up, up front with our forwards. And sometimes you need reminders and, and you need a little tune-up in certain parts of your game. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to, again, we have to look in the mirror and, and, and really evaluate ourselves as individuals and as a team. And um, obviously we know that this past road trip wasn't good enough and, and we can't have you know, guys not competing or not playing um, on a nightly basis, and I, we need everybody to win. The Canucks have the NHL's fifth highest payroll, yet Travis Green is still trying to get this team to live up to its playoff potential. Because remember, that's what general manager Jim Benning and Canucks ownership promised heading into this season. You can easily argue how wisely that money's been spent under Benning's leadership, but ownership has been in tune with every move made, so if you're expecting massive changes coming, think again. I, I can understand people not being happy with uh, our record right now. Uh, there's no one that's more unhappy than the people in our room with the record. I still believe we have a good hockey team here and we have to put the pieces together fast um, because we can't let this you know, slip away from us uh, this early. And, and um, no, but I, I do believe in our group. I, I, I believe we, have, we do have a good hockey team in there and we've yet to show it. The Canucks would love a healthy Brandon Sutter back. He actually was at practice today, but he's still not strong enough to come back from the after effects of having COVID. Hopefully he'll get over that soon. But until then, he is in street clothes, but he's cheering his boys on. Well, just like Canuck fans, those who support the Seattle Seahawks down the I-5 are having similar thoughts about their team this season. Seattle is 3-6. and six. They have eight games left. And they are basically running out of mulligans to make the playoffs. Last Sunday, they were shut out in Green Bay. That was Russell Wilson's return from a finger injury. And there's no doubt watching that game that Wilson looked rusty. There's, there's no question that if you don't, you don't play for a month, it's going to affect you. And so we, uh, you know, we were hoping that we would be able to find our way and get back going again. And, and unfortunately, it wasn't as sharp. So, you know, maybe in this week coming back, we, we'll see our, you know, be a little bit more on it and, and, and more precise and all that. And they got a tough game this Sunday. They have to play Arizona, who is 8-2. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, BC, like most of us, have never seen it before. Filmmaker giving our province new fame on YouTube just ahead. A local filmmaker is finding some fascinating stories in some of the long-forgotten parts of B.C.'s industrial past. Dustin Porter has been to places you've probably never even heard of, visiting abandoned sites to tell a cinematic story. Jay Durant caught up with uh, Porter for This is B.C. Look at this place. These are the parts of the province that very few get to see. I'm going to actually be able to explore. Filmmaker Dustin Porter is out in some of the most remote locations, sharing stories from BC's past. I'm sure this platform's plenty sturdy, but you can feel it shaking when you step on it. <laughs> These are the ghost towns abandoned long ago, like the old copper mining community of Antioch's. Woo! Somebody was making money up in here. The remains of Suquash on Vancouver Island. It's been over 100 years abandoned, but there's all these beautiful old stone ruins that you can go in and see there. Crumbling hospitals, historic hotels, even deserted dams. Wow! This thing is over capacity. Porter found an old store that was shuttered up after a sudden closure decades ago. just want to take you for a tour and show you some of the amazing stuff I'm finding in here. That store... Uh, started in 1901 cool. and ran up and right up until 1963 when the woman actually died in the store. 
kind of just trying to find it on the maps. Porter lives year-round in his RV, which he drives all over BC, using boats to access these locations, other times biking in as close as he can get. Black bears haven't been a problem, but he's had run-ins with others. My brand new boat got chewed up by a grizzly bear, so that was really unfortunate. He's better equipped now than when he first started two years ago. A spot GPS tracker is an important tool after he slipped and banged his head during one outing. I realized just how quick that kind of stuff happens, you know, because it's out in the middle of nowhere. And if I had sustained a worse head injury or a neck injury, I would have just froze to death. Wow. He has YouTube followers from around the world. So this winter, Porter will be branching out and exploring Mexico. But a return to BC beckons because there is still so much to discover. And I have a hundred and something adventure videos on the channel now, and I've barely scratched the surface, it seems, because every day I'm getting an email from somebody about a new location that I haven't even heard of. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And a quick update on the soccer score in the frozen tundra. One for the good guys. Well, I mean, Mexico aren't good guys. They're good guys, too. They're good guys. One for our good guys. Let's put it that way. All right. Zero good. for their good guys. <laughs> good to know. So diplomatic. I know. <laughs> Keep it on Global BC for the latest on the weather throughout the week. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.